Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, great to be with you guys this morning. Um, if, you know, I want to encourage you, if you are a senior, to get involved with uh, the seniors. We're going to start up a senior group, a fellowship group, a time together. It, you know, it, some of us have to realize that we're getting older. I didn't realize that I can order, for, I can order food from the senior menu now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, you're getting older when you get discounts. You, you get your ARP card in the mail. You get all those things. You guys, you know, you can't, you can't run from that. You know, we're getting older. But we also want to provide a place for some of our seniors to gather, worship, grow together, love one another, serve with each other. So I want to encourage you uh, to get involved as you're going to see more about that. If you're new with us this morning, welcome to New Vision Church. We're excited to have you. We have a challenge um, often we say, uh, give us three weeks. If New Vision is not the place for us, we'd help you find the church that fits where you are. In front of you is a QR code. So if you, you can use your phone and we want to connect with you, get to know you, it'd be great. But we also have a gift for you after service. You go out those doors to my left, your right. Um, there's a welcome center. We have a gift for you. Please check in. We got something we want to bless you with uh, this morning. Um, guys, we're going to continue finish. Actually, we're going to finish off the Gospel of John this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 21. We've been journeying through the Gospel for almost a year and a half. So um, you can, if you haven't been a part, it's been, it's been a blessing to, to study it, to study the words of, of Jesus and his story and his narrative and all those different things. So turn to John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at 15, verses 15 to 25 this morning. My sermon title is called Restoration, as we look at Peter's being restored. And we're going to look at that this morning. Um, that's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John will be there. Um, um, Julie and I were blessed on our sabbatical to travel to Paris, and we celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary on the Eiffel Tower. And um, it's one, it was one of our, our dreams to travel to Europe. We'd never been to Europe, and so we got to be at the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower was built in 1889. It was built for the purpose to be the main attraction for the World Fair. That's why they built it. But since then, to keep it from rusting and deteriorating and to keep it upgraded, the tower had to be restored and painted 19 times. Restored and painted 19 times. Uh, they serviced the tower by painting it every seven years. In fact, um, it takes 15 months to paint, and you have to paint it by hand only. It cost $20 million to paint it and 160,000 gallons of paint. What was the purpose of all this time and money and resource? The purpose was to allow people to go to the top of the tower to be able to see the landscape and the beauty of Paris and to celebrate. There's actually restaurants up there. There's actually a lot of stuff up there. But it was to be a blessing for many. I think Jesus, in the same way, wants to invest in us, that we could see his beauty and that we can be the tower to people to see the beauty of Christ through us. In fact, the word restoration means to return something to a formal, original, normal, or unpaired condition. 
Jesus came to restore and repair our relationship with him. That was the purpose of his coming. We, were, we, we, we had a fall in the garden and we were separate. We had a, a disagreement with God. We sinned in the garden and we were separate from God. But God came to restore that relationship. That's why God sent his son Jesus to restore that relationship. But it took time, it took work, and it cost him his life to invest in us. As you look, begin to look at the closing of John's gospel, Jesus takes a moment to invest in, in Peter's life, to restore him back to, to service, to restore back that relationship. And so he has a moment, he has a deep conversation with Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, we know that by this time, we know the story, Peter has denied Christ for three times. And because he's denied three times, God is very familiar. Jesus is very familiar. He probably has some baggage, eternal baggage is a deal. He probably has some guilt. He probably has some shame. He probably has a lot of that. And we know that Jesus has already appeared to Peter several times already. He appeared to him once, you know, alone, but he also appeared two times in a, in a room. And this is the third appearance before the disciples and Peter. But never in the story, never in the narrative, do you hear Peter and uh, Jesus engaging Peter about that very issue, about his, his denial. But I love this about Jesus, he wants to address the issue with him, but not condemn him, but reconcile and restore their relationship. I want you to grasp this this morning. I want you to understand that we have a God that, that loves us. That we have a God this morning that loves us and he restores those that have fallen. He restores those that make mistakes. And we might in our own lives feel like we made some whoppers. We made mistakes in our lives. We didn't make the right call. We didn't make the right decision. And we might even feel distant from God right now. But I want you to understand this morning, he loves you. He wants to meet with you. And he wants to build this authentic love relationship with you. That he's not sitting up there in heaven. He's not the Freddy Krueger of heaven ready to kill you. He's not Zeus ready to strike you. That's not the God that we have. That's not the God that we worship. That's not the God that we sang about this morning. We have a God that engages. So as we finish off the gospel, we finish off chapter 21 on a beach scene, right? Last week we looked at it. Last week we looked at Jesus appears on the beach and he performs a, a miracle and, he, and they catch 153 fish and, right? He provides food for them. And Jesus, Peter sees Jesus on the shore and he jumps off the boat, does a swan dive and swims to the shore and there's food already ready there and he's bring the other food there. And so he engages the disciples, calling them to him and inviting them to this relationship. And after the meal, he turns to Peter and has a, a pretty deep conversation with him about restoration and reconciliation and, and all that. And so that's what we're gonna look at this, this morning. We're gonna look at that Jesus is gonna remove some of Peter's baggages that he feels. You know, sometimes we have baggage in our life. He's gonna begin to remove it. He's gonna lighten Peter's load a little bit. He's gonna give him rest for his soul. And I think what he's saying is you, that, that Jesus says, you know what, Peter? There's no condemnation on you. <laughs> There's no condemnation on you. I just came to set you free from maybe some of the things you're dealing with. And I'm hoping this morning as we journey through this passage, maybe there's gonna be some restoration, maybe there's gonna be some removal of some baggage, maybe there's gonna be some removal of some heaviness in your life. Because I think we all carry some of that. If, if we, this world is crazy. We live in a dysfunctional, 
traumatized, addictive world. Come on, come on. We live in it. And there's so much stuff being poured on us and garbage and st- how we grew up and experience that we have, the environments we come from, everything. All of us have dysfunction. I have dysfunction. You have, we, we, we come from a brokenness. We come from a broken world. And some of that, the enemy is used to oppress us, uh, to bring anxiety, worry. But God says, you know what? All those are heavy living coming to me and I will give you rest. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. So we're gonna jump into it this morning, John chapter 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. He said again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry where you do not, want to, where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by which death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is, one, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say, to him that he will not die, but that he will remain till I come. What is that to you? This is the disciples who te- this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written, written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Amen. Father Heaven, we just pray this morning as we just jump into this text, this passage. Lord, I pray now, your Holy Spirit speak. Pray now your Holy Spirit touches us. I pray now, uh, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to understanding, that the words would be made plain and the receiving of your word would be understood. And I pray that, uh, Father, today you would do just a healing work in your people. I thank you, I praise you, I honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at a couple things this morning. First of all, Jesus restores broken relationships. Jesus restores broken. He's all about restoring broken relationships. It's not about condemning it. It's not about throwing rocks at it. It's not about any of that. Uh, and we all have, we all have our, our weaknesses and our moments of weaknesses. We, we see this throughout the, the gospel of John with the weaknesses of the disciples on many occasions, right? And we're gonna focus on Peter's restoration of his own weakness of denying Christ. Something happened to me um, several weeks ago. I just wanna be honest with you. Me and Pastor Pope were out to lunch and we were eating, we went to this restaurant around the corner here and just getting caught up in ministry, make sure we're on the same page. And as I was sitting here and Pope was sitting there, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he said, there was these two young ladies across from us at the table. The Lord said, I want you to go speak to them and tell them everything's going to be okay. And I, I just sensed his voice was speaking to me. And I'm like, okay, and I'll, okay, Lord, you want, you want me to do that? And I said, okay, and I'm just processing. But I'm engaging Pastor Pope and we're talking, we're eating and we're getting about our business, and we're doing that, and then we got it from the seat, and I never went and spoke to those people. And I walked out, and I left, and later in the day, I felt convicted. I didn't feel condemned, but I felt convicted because I felt like 
I let God down. I felt like I didn't obey God. I didn't, I wasn't sensitive to follow through with what God had commanded to do. And I, I just, and so I, I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, forgive me for not being obedient to what you commanded me to do. Please give me a, give me another, don't, don't close the door on another opportunity. Give me, give me another opportunity to, to minister to some people. Give me that opportunity uh, to do that. That was my prayer. And I, I we, we, I didn't lose my salvation because I didn't go do that. I didn't, God wasn't sitting, oh, you messed up again, Peter, like we're messed, look at Peter's mess ups. He, he, he didn't do that. He, he wasn't about that at all, right? But the conviction was that I felt like, you know, God, you, you gave me this opportunity and I didn't take advantage of it. And I, I think what God is doing here is that he's always working on us. And I, I think, Horace Bushell said this. He said, forgiveness is our deepest need and our highest achievement. And that God in the midst of our brokenness and our weaknesses is always is restoring us and forgiving us, right? And so that's exactly what's going to happen in the story. Jesus is going to have a seaside conversation with Peter and he's going to ask him three questions. And each question, though, it appears it is a repeating question. He's having Peter have a better, he's desires to have Peter have a better understanding of what this true relationship with him should look like. Just like Jesus calling us to have a true biblical relationship with him. And sometimes we can be skewed of what that should look like. Sometimes we think that, you know, we got to be monks and we got to be all these things. We have a wrong idea about what this relationship with Jesus should look like. But I hope in the story, you're going to see this. And here's the first thing that, that Jesus is here with Peter is designed to restore back this love relationship. God wants to destroy, restore that which was broken with Peter and Jesus. Because when he denied Christ three times, there was a broken relationship. And he says, Peter, first of all, I just want to restore some right priorities. I, I want to make first things first. I, I, I want to reset the relationship. You know, there's times that we need to do that, right? When we get odds with other people, we, there's times we need to have a reset button. Right? There's times when things aren't functioning right and things aren't operational. When you get on a computer and everything seems to lock up, things aren't working, things aren't connecting, you, you shut it off and reset it to get it to where it needs to be. Come on, come on. Jesus has to have a reset moment with Peter to reset the relationship because I don't think Peter doesn't love Jesus. Obviously, he, he, he followed Jesus. He, he walked with him three and a half years and he took risk and he did all that. But even in, even in guys, even as we journey as God's people, we have our moments of weakness where sometimes we don't make the right call and, and we have to have a reset in our life and, and restore that relationship that maybe it might be broken. It says in John 15, John 20 and 15, 16, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, my, feed my lambs. And they said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. We know verse 17 is going to say the same thing, but add a little bit more. You know, I think we, we challenge each other. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think Jesus began to challenge and, and question Peter's commitment because he asked that question three times. Simon Peter, do you love me? You know, Simon Peter at this moment is not the rock he is called to be. <laughs> He's not the person quite yet that God's going to create him to be, but God's working on him. He's working on this relationships. 
And so after having a fish taco breakfast, he asked that question, do you love me? And in fact, the word there, love, is the Greek word agapo, or we get it kind of rooted from agape, which means do you love me in a godly love? Do you, do you have this unselfish love? Or do you have this unconditional love for me, Peter? That's the word he's using when he said, do you, do you love me? He's laying a, a foundation question for Peter because everything rests on this question. Everything in our relationship rests on that question, do we love God? Because faith is built on love, not on law. It's built on love, not on rules. Amen. For God so loved the world, it's built on that. And so he gathers his disciples to remind them of their commitments, specifically Peter. Guys, we, we gather weekly to worship, to remind us of our love commitments. Some of you have been married 50 years in this room. Some of you have been married a long time and you, and you go renew your vows because you're reminding us of your love commitment. Julie and I were at a wedding yesterday and Patrick Pope led it and just remind people of their covenant relationship. Why do we do communion? To remind us of our love relationship and what we've done. It's a reminder. It's a, and that's why we worship. And we worship to be... Reminded of our commitment to God and to obey his great commandments to love others and to love him. And so Jesus said, do you love me? Because I know if you love me, you obey my commands. Listen, repentance isn't about tears. It's about love. Come on, come on. When a woman came to Jesus and washed his feet and the Pharisees questioned, Jesus said, when one is forgiven much, they love much. They didn't say they cried much. I have a lot of people that come to the altar and cry. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but love is what transforms us, not our tears. Love will go a long way. God, for, because of his love, he forgives a multitude of sin because <laughs> he's a God of love. But then he, he brings it even deeper with a question, Peter, do you love me? But look what he says, do you love me? More than these. If you want to underline it or take it in your Bible. More, what, what is he saying here? Do you love me more than these? Do you agapo, agape me or agapo me more than these or greater than these? What he's saying is, do you love me more than you love the disciples right here? Do you love me? Do you love me more than all these 153 fish we just caught? <laughs> Do you, do you love me more than your friends, come on, come on. your homies? Do you, do you love me more than your family, your wives, your children, your in-laws? I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on toes because what, what he's saying is sometimes we could put relationships in front of our love for God. Come on, come on. We could put people in front of God. We, 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 we can make them actually, we can worship those things. You know, we can actually worship our family. And family is a priority in the church here. We have a high priority of family, but, but the reality, we can put our family before God. We, we can, we, so he's saying, listen, what are, the, what are the relationships that you're having? Do you love these relationships more than you love me? I'm calling you out, Peter. You know, I'm calling you out. I, I, Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 and 38, he who loves phileos, a father or mother, more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who phileos the son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
The word phileo, we'll get into it, it means friendship, love. If you love me more than these things, you're not worthy of me. Now, now Jesus is not against the family. He's not against brothers and sisters. Not, but what he's saying is that our, there's a priority to our love. There's an order to our love. Because I really believe this. If we love God right, then we'll be able to love our families right and our children right and our relationships right. But you cannot reverse it. He said, Peter, I, 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 there's some things hindering you here that I have to restore this relationship to the right priority. But let me ask you this. He, he says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than what the world offers? Do you, do you, do you love your fishing, Peter? Because you just went back fishing. <laughs> you just went fishing. Like you checked out on me and you went fishing. Do, do you love your, your work? Do you love your vacation, your job then more than me? Do you, do you love entertainment more than me, your sports, your movies, your recognition, the fame. I, I played sports. I, I did that growing up. I love watching the Lakers lose last night. I, you know what I mean? You know? I grew up in L.A., so I'm a Laker guy and stuff. But, but I, 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 as much as I love that, they're not, they're not my priority. Amen. So I love my comfort more than you, Jesus. My wealth, my materialism, my recognition, my fame. How about... How do I, do I love my reputation more than you? My identity, who I am. And when, when, when Jesus asked these, this question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? He asked it three times. And Peter responds with, yes, Lord, I love you. You can't say yes, Lord, with a big L and love other things before him. Yes, Lord, I, I love you. The, the L represents that you're, you're the, the big L, represents, you're my authority. I, I, I worship you, right? And he uses the word phileo there. Yes, Lord, I love you. Is the phileo means like, uh, I love you like a friend. I, I'm your friend. I, I'm fond of you, Lord. I, I, yes, I love you. And then, he's, and then he uses it, Lord, you know me. You know that I, I love you, Lord, Right? You know my intentions. Lord, you know me better than you know myself. I know myself. Because God, you're all knowing. You're all you're omniscience. God is all knowing. He knows us better. He created us. He knows us. He knows the intentions of our heart. And he still loves us. Because <laughs> it says the heart is desperately wicked. Who knows it? I think he's making a, some confession about the identity and character who the nature of God is. Because God is all-knowing, right? God, you know my heart. You know my love. In fact, the word know here, the first two, do you, God, Lord, you know me, is, is the word, Greek word that means to know by knowledge. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I, I know there's God. That's a, that's a knowledgeable to know. But when we get to the third time, he uses the word gnosko, which means to know by experience. I think knowledge and experience has to go together. There's one thing to know about something and another thing to know someone. Okay, there's, there's one thing to, to, to know that God is real, but there's another thing to experience that he's real. They, they, they go to hand to hand, right? This walk with God. We have to know and experience the goodness. That's why he says, come and taste and know that I'm good. We have to have that experience with him. I think a lot of people, 
don't have that loving relational experience with God. That's why they tap out so easily because they, they have a knowledge of God but don't know God. And so we're seeing that happening here. And, and so Peter's battling, he's, he's addressing the fact that, God, you know me, but I think what's going on in Peter, he knows that he's, he's, he's denied Christ three times. He's standing before Jesus on the shore of Galilee, and I'm sure there's these feelings, emotions, and things rumbling up in him because like, we haven't had this conversation. It's probably uncomfortable. It's hard, right? He just had a humbling experience, Peter did. Peter had been humbled because he denied Christ. He was arrogant. The failure brings the fruit of humility. <laughs> Sometimes we need to fail. Sometimes we got to be knocked off our high horse. Sometimes we need those moments in our life because our weaknesses are, are, are to keep us humble and dependent, not arrogant and proud. And the humility of our brokenness is really that. When, when Paul was asking the Lord God to heal him of his wounds, to heal him of his sickness, he said, no, my grace is sufficient. When you're weak, you'll be made strong. I think there's something about our brokenness that's healthy, whether you realize it or not because that keeps us near to God. When we don't have that in life, we have it all together, we don't, have, we don't need God. We just need ourselves. But I love this. In the restoration process, the second through thing is restoring. He restores Peter right where he's at. You know, people say, wow, before I come to church, I, I got to pull my life together. <laughs> I, I got to get it all together before I come. No, 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 that's not how it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that self-effort, I talked about that last week. Just come to God. He'll work it all out if you trust him, right? He's storing this right. He said, look at 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. On this third question, you see the emotions of Peter. It says that he was grieved when when. When Jesus asked him that question, why is he grieving it? He didn't grieve on the first two questions, but there's a process of restoration taking place. And I think there's a process of a conversation going. There's a process and God's working by his spirit. He's, he's doing something. And I think in our lives, God does that. He's working through the process. But I believe he's grieved because in his mind, he remembers that he had denied three times and now Jesus asked him three times. Come on, come on. He goes, you denied me three times, but I'm gonna ask the same question three times. And I think Peter begins to connect the dots at this moment. There's some revelation in Peter's mind of like, oh, I see where you're going with this, Jesus. I need to be reminded three times because of my own denial three times. And he's sitting by a fire. Remember, he's sitting by a barbecue, a fire at this moment. And in this conversation, Jesus is heating up Peter's heart. He's stoking the passion for him. I think that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to heat up our passion and love uh, for him. But I find it very interesting. He changes the Greek word here on the third question from agape or agapo to phileo, where before he says, Peter, do you love me, agapo? He says that two times. But on the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He changed the Greek where the meaning, and Peter caught it. it. means What he did was, he says, Peter, I'm going to come down to your level because you say you love me as a friend. I'm going to come down just to meet you where you're at right now. This is where you're at. I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I think that God 
does that with us. We not fully understand the great things of God or the great spiritual things of God. So God's going to meet us right where we're at to help us understand him. And, 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 but I, I don't want to forget that God will meet us right where we're at, but he doesn't want to leave us right where we're at. That's, that's part of the transformation. That's part of the, the change that he brings in our life. And, and so he's working with Peter right where he's at. But the challenge is, Sometimes we often like to bring God down to our level instead of us rising to his level. So that's the challenge, the tension we have. God, I, I want to get, because I will, God will only do as much in our lives as we allow him to do, because he's, he, we're inviting him. I like to talk about inviting him in. He only does as much as we allow him to do. He's not gonna, he's, his love is not gonna be forced on us. The more we're open to his leading, the more we're open to the obedience, the more we're open, the more he will do. But he's not gonna force that on you. I'm not going to preach hell and damnation, though hell is a very real place. I'm not going to preach that. I'm going to preach you about the goodness and love of God because you're, you want, I want to bring you to a place of understanding that good and not to walk in fear every day. But there is a judgment coming. We have to understand that because he's a just God. But I love this. As he begins to work this all out, this restoration process, he res he's restoring him. He's calling to this apostolic servant heart to serve people. He restores him with a commission. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord. Do you, do you phileo me? Yes, Lord, I, I phileo you. Okay, here's the next step. I'm going to commission you. Peter was convicted of a crime, pardoned, and now he's commissioned to care for the flock of God. Isn't that what God does with us? Like we've had this crazy background. We've been on a journey. We're living the crazy life in our life. God touches and restores us. But God says, you're, you're valuable to me. You have a place in the kingdom. You have a purpose. And he tells him to do three things here because he's appointed him as an apostle. He's commissioning him to service. He says in verse 15, feed my lambs. A lamb is a baby sheep, right? That's what a lamb is. A lamb is a baby sheep. Care for my young in the faith because they're most vulnerable to the enemy. It, it, nurture the children and the young adults in the faith. There are people that, some of you are new to the faith. You just come to the faith. You don't know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. You're still trying to struggle with what the Bible means. You're, you're still in that very young young walk with God. And, and so Jesus is saying, like, take time to just go work with the children of the faith. You, you know, guys, you want to you learn what it means to serve? Go just serve in the children's ministry. Come on now. That's crazy over there. I, 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 when I, I'm here, I love being here teaching you. I go over there, I'm thrown to the lions, man. I'm like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Me and my wife, she's, a, she's, she's gifted to children. She's a teacher. She's an educator. She's run children's ministry. She's done a lot of different things. And one time we were serving at church. I said, I'm gonna go helping the children. They ran all over me. And yet I've worked with gang kids, street kids, worked in prisons, done all this stuff. And I was like, I walked out all beat up, tore up from the floor up. <laughs> I'm like, these kids ran, kids ran circles around me. You know what I mean? Because you know why? That wasn't my call and my gifting, but that's where I learned to serve. And so he said, first of all, care for those, because you know what? These young in the faith are vulnerable. Actually, he gives a warning. Be careful you don't stumble these little ones. He gives warning to that, that they'll, they'll, you might as well tie a millstone around your neck and cast in the ocean. So the, the young in the faith are very, very, that we can't be a stumbling block or just nurture them and, and care for them. 
Then he says in verse 16 to tend my sheep. That, that word tend means to shepherd my sheep, care for the people, love on the people, look out for the show deep love for the people. Jesus is positioning Peter as a leader because he's going to be the head. He's going to be the head of the church. He's going to run the church. He's going to be instrumental as one of the disciples to, to go forth, right? Peter, this is going to be your ministry, right? Teaching care for the sheep. Then in verse 7, he says, feed again, feed my sheep. Give them the word. Sanctify them with, your, with the truth. Give them the bread of life and the, the living water. Feed them, don't fleece them. And there's a difference. Come on. Love on them. We have people on TV that are fleecing the sheep and not feeding the sheep, right? See, the role of the pastor is to teach and shepherd the church to maturity and the faith. And Peter is being installed as an apostle. He will become a pillar in the church with meekness and humility, and he will care and teach them to grow in the faith. That's the role. That, so he's restoring him back to, not only to a right relationship with Jesus, but to a call to serve. He's restoring. That's what he does with us. He's setting the right priority. He's hitting the reset button. Here's the second thing. Jesus restores to be a living sacrifice. He restores to be a living sacrifice. You know, we don't know a lot about like persecution here. Like we have it in ways, and I'll talk about the Mormon, but when I was in India and I traveled to India and I was meeting pastors out there, India is a very persecuted country. And so I had the privilege to travel there and I was working with some pastors. And in that time we would travel hut to hut and I was teaching hut to hut, but they had to move me really quickly. And I would be teaching sometimes at five in the morning to sometimes at 10 at night. And all throughout the week, and we go to village and village because there was radical Hindus that were out there that were persecuting the Christians in that country in India. They were, they were burning them. They were blowing older. They were beating them up for the faith. And there would, you, would go, you would go into these villages and if they, you saw these red like banners or red like strings, you know that there were radical Hindus in that, in that neighborhood, in that village. And, and I remember them taking me, okay, we're going to teach here. And I'd I be like, like stick and move, stick and move, stick and move. You know what I mean? It was kind of like that for, for 10 days. I visited 33 churches in 10 days preaching and teaching. And there was, a, there was a young couple I met that wanted to go to Northern India to preach the gospel, young couple with a little kid to a, to a community that were cannibalists still. And they were saying, God's called us to go share this love of Jesus with these people. We don't understand that in our culture. We live in a nation that we have a freedom to sit in this room and worship freely and, and, and talk about the Bible. So sometimes we don't fully understand the value of what we've been given until it's taken away. Come on, come on. And I believe, guys, it's coming. It's coming. The, the culture's shifting in such a radical way that our values, the things that we believe in, are going to be considered archaic, non-traditional, because we live in a very progressive society that's moving away through the, the foundations of God's word and then the truth. And so when we begin to teach it, what are you talking about? Why do I need the church? What good is it? I'm not into organized religion. You know, they, they give you all these different things and they don't, the culture say it doesn't even value what we do this morning. And so my, my challenge to you is our, you're willing at this place to walk in righteousness and goodness and truth in a way that you might even be challenged in your faith. You might even be ridiculed in your faith. You might even be verbally accosted. You might be a lot of things if you're just trying to be the light, right? 
John the, John the Baptist was being the light and got his head cut off, right? Peter was, and then where many of them were, were gonna be attacked for their faith. And so what Jesus is doing is as he's beginning to restore Peter, he says, listen, I want you to remember the cost, what it means to follow me. Like I'm restoring you, but I'm not gonna shy away from the cost of this. Look at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you're old, you stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry where you do not wish. When Jesus is speaking to this, is speaking to Peter, he's basically prophesying to Peter, you're gonna die a violent death. What? But I thought there were supposed to be blessings when I followed Jesus, right? He's saying, there will be a cost to follow me. There'll be a cost to the call of walking with Jesus. He says, I, I just want to speak some assurance with you, man. <laughs> verily, verily, I say to you, I just want to tell you the truth. Like, guys, I want to tell you the truth this morning. This walk with Jesus is not easy. I'm not going to uh, give you this Barney gospel. I love you. You love me. We're just one happy family. It's hard when we try to walk the way Jesus walked. It's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to be kind sometimes when they're not being kind to you. It's hard to repay evil. Don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Because those things are not our nature. Without, apart from God's spirit, they are not our nature. We want to repay evil for evil. We want to cuss you out when you cuss us out. We want to hit you when you hit us. That is our nature. And sometimes in the church, that nature manifests. And so he's saying, I want to tell you the truth, Peter. I'm not representing you a Jesus that if you receive it, you're going to, life's going to be better and you're going to be more comfortable. You're going to have all the riches and all the T's are going to be crossed and all the I's are going to be dotted and you will never experience sickness. That's not the gospel, <laughs> right? There is, a, there is a cost to this gospel and there are times of difficulty will come when we follow God. And we see that, just read the Bible. There were tiny difficulties and disciples were trying to, they were healing people and they were touching people and they were blessing people and people didn't like that. And they were calling that bad. They were calling Jesus was of the devil when he healed people and he raised people from the dead. How backwards do we get it, right? Many of you came out of your addictions. Maybe you came out of your decisions and different things and God heals you. And then people say, oh, you're just religious. They would rather you be addicted and messed up and jacked up than be made well and whole. I remember when I, I, I came from back when I drank a lot and party a lot and I was drinking and using and all of a sudden I got saved. And, and remember I got saved and I came home and I was walking with Jesus. My parents didn't understand that. And they didn't really, and I remember my, the words of my brother who's not saved. He came to me and said, oh, don't worry about Pete. Give him two weeks. He'll be walking. He'll be partying again. Hey, I've been partying with Jesus for 40 years. Because that's the transformation power that we have here. But the world says, oh no, this is the expectation yeah, it, kids, young people are just going to be rebellious because that's what young people do. But wait a minute, if we get them to understand the love of God and the, what it means to follow him. And so what, what he's doing, Peter was doing here, he's saying, Peter, there's a cost to follow me. He, Peter, when you're young, you're going to have the strength to endure. 
You know, when, you, when I was in my 20s, man, I was out every day. You know, I drove my wife crazy when we got married. I was out every night, 24-7, about Jesus, living that ghetto housing project with gang kids, and gang kids would come in my house, and they'd be sleeping, and I'd wake up, and they'd be sleeping in my front room because I'd leave the door open. Ministry me was 24-7. I was running like, because I was young. I, was, I had the energy. I, I, right now, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm older, right? I, like I said, I, I'm, on the, I'm eating off the senior menu now. You say, Peter, when you're young, man, you're going to have energy. To, you're going to go where you want to go. You're going to do what you want to do in the, in the ministry. You're going to be able to go freely and be bold. And, and in Acts chapter 2, man, he gets this boldness by the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 come to know the Lord. You're going to be this confident young pastor. You're going to leave a great revival with the Gentile in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius come to faith, and, and you're going to lead his whole family, and you're going to be baptizing him. You're going to have this crazy ministry because you're going to have energy to do it. I'm, but I'm reminded of the promise he's saying, but, but when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, right? In Acts chapter 10, you remember Peter is preaching. He gets thrown in a prison and he's gaffled between two soldiers. And James had just been martyred and they said, oh, the people were like, yeah, so like if James and everybody likes that, let's take Peter and let's kill him. And so he's thrown in prison. He's gaffled between two soldiers. And where do you find Peter in prison? It says that he's gaffled and he's sleeping. How would you feel in prison, gaffled up between two soldiers, knowing that you might die the next morning? Would you be sleeping? No, I think you'd pretty be anxious. I think you'd be praying. I think you'd be calling upon the God you, you believe in. You know why Peter was sleeping? Because this promise was, you're going to die when you get old, not when you're young. He says, I know the promises of God's word. I'm not, I'm not going to die today because I'm young. He said, when I'm old, they'll take me. He didn't say, when I'm young, they'll take me. He is fully confident in the promises of God's word. He says, I don't know how he's going to work it all out. And he did. He opened up the gates. He let him out. And the people were praying and Guys, do we really believe that God's word is, the promise of God's word is true? Yes. And so he held on to that. He understood that. He had confidence in that. We all are, we have an appointed day to die. We all do. Until God takes that appointment, we're still, we're still here and being faithful until he takes us home, right? Jesus had an appointed time to die. He says they wanted to kill him, but he would slip away from them, right? It wasn't his time yet. He had work to do. Many times the disciples were free, but there came a time. Every one of the disciples will be martyred, except John. We'll look at that. But here, when you're old, Peter, you're going to die. And we know in 60 AD, he died on a cross upside down by the hands of Nero. He says, I'm not even worthy to die like my Lord, like a crucified. Crucify me upside down. And he died upside down. But Jesus reminded him of the purpose of his death. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. The purpose of Peter's death was to glorify God. Take up your cross and follow me. That's a symbolic way of our death, to glorify God. But Peter was going to have a physical death to glorify God. Peter, I have a purpose in your suffering. It's only temporary, but I have a purpose in your suffering to honor and glorify God. And your courage and your faith, Peter, is going to glorify me. You failed the first time, but you'll be bold and courageous the second time. Come on, come 
That's what God will do by his spirit. Paul, Paul wrote, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death in Philippians 1.20, right? Jesus promised those who were persecuted for his namesake will receive a reward. We read that in Matthew 5.12. There's a reward. We're going to be challenged. Uh, I don't know if you heard this week, for those who have studied the word, Tim Keller passed away this Friday of cancer. Tim Keller was a very well-known pastor, New York from New York. I've read a lot of his stuff. He had great influence in the Christian world in his writings and his teachings. Um, a very godly man. Many presidents knew who he was. And he died of, of cancer on Friday. And the reality is, but his life, he lived his life in a way that glorified God. And his, even in his death, he's glorifying God. People are honoring him because of the God that he serves. May, may we be found faithful when our appointed time comes, that we be found faithful and what does he do in the midst of all that? I mean, hey, you're going to die this crazy, radical, violent death. Hey, what? Just come follow me. What? 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 You mean if I follow you, I'm going to die like, but you invite, you're giving an invitation to follow me? You're going to suffer, but just come follow me. How many would take that offer? Right? We don't like pain. We like pleasure. We don't like to deny ourselves. We want to feed ourselves. <laughs> Peter, come follow me. Come follow, imitate me. I went to the cross and you're going to go to the cross, right? Here's the testimony of the saints. Will we follow him in the good times and the bad times? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel were three godly young men who were challenged in their faith. When Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made an image and asked people to bow down to them and and people, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into the fire and you will die. And these three young men said, excuse me, hell no, I won't go. I'm not going to bow down. And this is the words we read in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, 18. And they said this, if this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, I love that. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Yeah. Regardless of the outcome, regardless of the cost, we're not going to follow your God. We're going to worship yeah. our God. I think that was the heart of God. You're going to follow me. See, we have a choice this morning. We can, genu can genuflect to the God of this world or the God of heaven. And lastly, guys, as we're closing, Jesus restores to keep us focused on Christ and not others. And we see that in verses 20 to 25. If you're driving down the freeway, you see those digital signs now? It says, do not text and drive. I know you guys probably violate that a little bit, right? Okay, quite often. So it says quite often. I'm going to be honest. Confession, there's healing and confession. Right? <laughs> Why did they give that? Because people were texting and driving and they were being distracted. And in their distractions, they were getting in accidents. And some people were dying and getting hurt and being injured because of the distractions they were facing. We are, we, we are distracted people. We have some, we walk out these doors, we're distracted by everything. Even in the midst of this conversation to, 
to, to draw Peter in and now he's going to have him refocus. It, it, Peter gets distracted for a moment. And Peter says, no, Peter, keep your focus on me. Keep your focus on Christ. Like verse 20 and 22. Then Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who has also leaned on him's breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it the one who betrays you? And Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till come, what is that to you? You follow me, right? So Peter's at the beach. The disciples are all there. And he's like, here's John. John is the one who put his head on the bosom of Jesus when they were in the upper room and communion and, and they're having conversation. John is the one when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, he goes, who, who's the one who's going to betray? So he's, John, the author who's writing this book, is kind of reflecting back on what's happening. He's telling this situation. He's writing this story. And he's kind of writing about himself. And, and Peter's, he's kind of identifying this. Then he goes, what about John? Is John going to face the same thing I'm going to face? Is John going to go through the same thing I'm going to go through? Is he going to die like I'm going to die? Is he going to, like... And we could do that. We, we have a tendency to look at other people's walks. Well, their walk's not like my walk, or how come my walk's not like their walk? And we start comparing each other's walks and start looking at each other's walks. Look at guys, you have this journey that you're on that God might be calling you to do something, but calling somebody else something different. Come on, come on. We're all one and we're here corporately, but we have our own walk that God has called us to, right? And Jesus is saying, don't worry about his walk because I got something for John. You don't know what John's going to go through. You don't know that they're going to try to poison John. You don't know that they're going to persecute a martyr, John, not martyr, persecute him and put him in oil and boil him and he still lived. You don't know that we're going to cast him to the island of Patmos by himself, the most crazy, lonely pace by himself. He's going to live in a cave. You don't know all that I'm going to take him through. He's going to be the only disciple that's going to live out of all the disciples. He's going to die at an old age. But it's here in this island in Patmos that he's going to get the last book of the Bible called Revelation, which tells us about our victory. You don't know that yet, Peter. I have a plan for John just like I have a plan for you. And God says, I have a plan for you just like I have a plan for you. But your journeys are to worship God, but they might be a different journey. Don't worry right now what God's doing. You pray for him, but God's got something for you. And so he said, Peter, just get focused right now. Don't start getting distracted about what's going on. And then... It's so easy to get distracted by God's word. We have to refocus because when they heard these words we read, the disciples thought, oh, we're all, we're all not going to die. When Jesus is going to come back, we're not going to die. He said, no, that's not what I said. You ever played that going game where you tell a story and you tell somebody's ear and then they tell to the next person and they tell the next person and they tell the next person and the original story is different than the, the original story is different than what they get end up in the beginning? Right? And Peter said, whoa. Jesus said, whoa, guys, don't... You guys are making up all these things that I didn't say. Listen, I'm in control of what's going on, Jesus said. I got this, right? I know what the outcome is going to be. Don't misinterpret my words. People take God's word and misinterpret it for their own gain, for their own selfish purpose, for all those things. Be careful what Jesus is saying here. It's up to me whether John lives and it's up to me whether John dies. Okay, I know what I'm doing. Okay, 
even, even the garden misinterpreted the words of God. God said, do not partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When the serpent asked her, what did God say? He said, oh, do not eat or even touch it. She changed even the term what Jesus, what the Lord had even said. Be careful when we meet, we don't misinterpret the context and the text of God's word because a lot of people do that when you talk to them. Be careful of that. And then he says this, John, I love this. He's closing off the book and he's focusing back on Jesus because everything is about Jesus. It's not even about Peter. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of this book, not the disciples. Jesus is the hero in our life, not us. He works through us. And he closes with this. This is disciples who testify of these things. And he wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are, all, are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. I love this. John is saying, look at, John is the one who's writing this book. John the apostle, he says, man, what I've written is true. This is what I've seen. I'm writing about what I've seen and know to be true. And there is so much more that I couldn't even write about. There was so much more that I, I couldn't even contain in these scriptures. He gave us seven miracles. He gave us the highlight reels in the book of John. But there was so much more that even the libraries couldn't even contain it. But here's the Thing I'm going to cast out and lob to you guys. I'm going to do a lob softball pitch to you guys right now. How much more stories that God wants to write through you? How much more stories that he wants to tell through you? Because that was his prayer. His prayer was that others would believe by your message about him and your stories about him and your lives that were transformed by him. Hallelujah. Because it's just about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. So let's wrap this up. Number one, Jesus restores our faith to have a loving relationship with him. He, re, he resets. He says, if, you, if you've gone away, if you feel like I got to reconnect, he says, let's hit the reset button. Let's start again. I'm okay. You, some of you are, are, are do-over kids. Let's just do it over and get it right. Right? You don't get it right the first time? When, when, when you're in college, college students, you know this, right? You, got, you, run a, a, you write a draft paper and then they do all the correction. Okay, go back and refix it. There's nothing wrong with that. You're learning. Don't take it as bad as just learning. It's part of the gross. Hit the rethink. Here's the second thing. Jesus restores our faith to be a living sacrifice for him. There might be a cost to this, to this walk. I'm not going to make it easy. I'm not going to say it's easy. There's going to be a cost to this walk with Jesus. But there's such an investment too because God pours into us. And lastly, Jesus restores our faith to keep us focused on him. Now, we, we meet corporately, but we still have this walk that God calls us specifically to to focus on him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your love and your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord, this morning. And I, I'm praying this morning your hand upon your people, Lord. Maybe there's some here that just need a reset. Father, instead of tapping out, they need to just tap in. <laughs> Maybe they've made some poor decisions. Maybe they've done something that they, they regret and have the baggage. I just pray, Lord, you just release it right now, Lord, that as they come to you, Lord, you're going you're gonna to just touch them. 
you're, if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I need a reset. I just uh, rebuild this. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody here? I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Just a re I see you. God's good all about it. I see it. It's all good. Father, I just pray for the hands that have been lifted up this morning, Lord. They just come and say, Lord, I just need a reset in my area, this area. Lord, I just confess that. Lord, I ask that you remove whatever baggage or guilt or shame that might be associated with that, whatever heaviness that might be on that, Lord. Father, you came to restore us to a thriving, authentic relationship, an honest relationship with you, not hiding secrets, but just saying, God, here I am. Use me in my brokenness. I know that you value me. I know you love me. I pray that they would receive that love this morning, that you restore them into this right relationship with you. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.